0: Welcome to the St. Matt's 6 p.m. podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Tonight we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4, we're reading verses 1 to 6. just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Lockie. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Ron. It's great to be with you tonight. It's great to see some of you here in the room, and uh, it's great to know that others of you are joining from your own room in your own home, whether that be a lounge room or some other room. We're going to spend some time tonight thinking about that passage that Lockie just read to us. So if you've still got your Bible open, leave it open and that might be of help to you. One of the things that I'm not is I'm not a great gardener. I don't mind, thanks for the chuckles, I don't mind uh, getting out in the garden. In fact, I kind of find it quite relaxing, uh, sometimes even therapeutic just to wander around. The garden at the end of the day and to look at the various trees, particularly fruit trees and see them in different seasons and just think about how they're changing and growing even from day to day. Sometimes they look really leafy and if you don't know, like me, how to spot a particular tree you wouldn't know if it was a lemon tree or an orange tree. Other times they have fruit on them which becomes really helpful in identifying certain trees most of the time. But as I watch these fruit trees particularly go through their life cycles, they can go from leafy but then they'll start to get flowers on them and the flowers give way to buds and when the buds appear I begin to anticipate the fruit that's coming, whether that be oranges or uh, whether it be lemons in my garden or whether it be nectarines which have never given me fruit that's actually mounted to anything but one day maybe. But I have to wait for that fruit as it grows and develops and ripens before I can have the full satisfaction of everything that that bud offers. Flowers and buds give us a taste, at least a metaphorical taste. I don't know if I'm encouraging you to eat them, but they give us a taste of what is coming. Tonight we're wrapping up a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. So we've been in this for four weeks and if you haven't had a chance to check out some of the other messages you might want to do that. But our focus tonight comes out of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 which was just read to us. It says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And actually, the sense of keeping the unity of the Spirit, which is our focus, is actually even stronger than what that English translation brings out. It's essentially to guard that unity. The unity of the Spirit, the unity of God's Holy Spirit, is God's gift to his church that enables his church to give the whole cosmos a taste of what is coming. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about how we keep or guard that unity of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want to say is unity is more than kumbaya. Okay, you've got me. Good. Unity is a bit cliched in Christian circles. And there's nothing wrong with having great camp-like experiences, right? And I'm really devastated for you guys who are so looking forward to summer exodus and have to delay that gratification for some time. But, uh, but unity is a bit cliched. Unity isn't just the kumbaya moment. The kumbaya moments become in common culture something that's kind of associated with a contrived sort of moment. Think your classic team building exercises of old. That sort of moment where you're meant to feel good about each other. It's a bit naive. But the, the term comes from the Christian song kumbaya. If you've never sung it, go home or at home, Google it. Not right now, later. And uh, have a listen, then you'll kind of get the sense, particularly if you envision that being sung around a campfire. That's where the kumbaya moment comes from. But the unity of the spirit is more than that kumbaya moment. It's not just about feeling nice and fluffy with each other. Christian unity is so much more than that. Christian unity is not grounded in some artificial feel-good moment but rather it's grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the unity that pulls us together from all different places because of Jesus and what he's done. And rather than being naive, Christian unity allows us, in even the most trying and troubling of times, to look forward to the ultimate fulfilment of God's good purpose and to be unified in it. Paul has spoken about God's purpose in the earlier chapters of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 10 he said that God's purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth uh, in Christ, unity to all things. You can start to see why Christian unity is a taste of what is to come. God is at work in the world. Making all things right. That's what God is doing. He's undoing the mess that we humans made through our own sinfulness and rebellion. And He is bringing all things, things in the heavens and things on earth, back under the rule of Jesus. And He uses His unified church in the process of doing this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that through the church the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. As the cosmos sees God's church living in unity, the unity that the Spirit brings under the rule of Jesus, the whole cosmos gets a taste of what God is doing, of how he is bringing all things to unity under Jesus. They get a taste of God's new creation that's coming. Unity of the spirit is not fluffy or naive. It's been won at great cost and it has a great purpose in this world, which is why Paul at the start of chapter 4, Ephesians 4 verse 1, says, I urge you then, because this really matters, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, the phrase, live a life worthy, is another way of saying, have a worthy walk. For those of you who have been with us in this series, you'll remember that we spent some time in Galatians 5 talking about keeping in step with the Spirit and it's the same sort of idea, walking with the Spirit. A worthy walk guards our unity. Living a life worthy, having this worthy walk, develops character that creates an attitude that guards unity. Now, verse 2 and 3 in the NIV are actually a little bit misleading and better grasped in the ESV, which I've got up on the screen for you. It's not a new sentence. It's not a new idea, but all flows out of this idea of living a life worthy. It says, uh, live a life worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how do we guard this unity? By living with humility, gentleness, patience and love. They help us guard the unity of the Spirit. But that's not how we normally think about guarding things, is it? When, the, when you hear the word guard, what image comes to your mind? For me, it's kind of the image of a burly security guard. I've stayed in uh, hotels around the world where they've had, uh, when I say around the world, in other countries is probably a better phrase. I don't, I'm not a jet setter, but there you go. Uh, I've stayed in other countries where, where they've had guards at the gates of hotels. And even when you're doing the right thing, these guards instill a sense of fear into you, right? You're never quite sure if you've stepped out of line or if you've looked the wrong way or if you're carrying your bag in the wrong hand or whatever. We guard things. We tend to think about guarding things in a way that that can instill fear. We guard our valuables by locking them away somewhere. We even guard our children by putting boundaries around them. But guarding the unity of the spirit isn't done with some strong-arm tactic. It's not about getting the theological police to get into your mind and look at every thought that you have and make sure they all line up with my thought. It's not about that. It's not about uh, ensuring every opinion matches. We guard the unity of the spirit by being armed with very different weapons the weapons of humility, gentleness, patience and loving forbearance. It's completely counterintuitive when you think about guarding, that we would use things that in this world seem to be signs of weakness, completely countercultural, yet it's completely like Jesus. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he invited people to learn from him and to come to him and he said in that context, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle and humble and we guard the unity of the spirit which we have because of him by being like him full of gentleness and humility. Too often uh, in recent times I've heard Christian rhetoric both here in Australia and abroad that talks about the need for Christians to rise up and wage war against people who are oppressing us, against those who are going to tear us down in one form or another. But I want you just to think about that for a moment. Paul here, as he writes this letter, is in prison. He's in prison because he's a Christian. He's being persecuted. And what's his concern at this point in time? That those outside should suddenly get rid of the oppressors? That they should fight for justice? No, that they should maintain their unity. And how? by being gentle and humble. No matter the injustice that Paul suffered, his concern was that the precious unity that the Spirit had brought would be seen in the lives of believers as they too were humble, gentle, patient, and loving. I think Paul was probably thinking of those who were the guards, so to speak, in prison. And he was thinking about a Christian witness to them. And he was wanting others to think about their Christian witness in the world because Paul understood that unity mattered because it gave the whole cosmos a taste of what God was doing and a taste of what was coming. We guard the unity of the Spirit, not by arrogance, not through power, but in gentleness and humility. So what issues do we guard then? Well, here's what I want to say to you, quite simply, don't major on the minus. Part of the nature of being a Christian is holding certain views strongly. That's part of the nature of any religion, right? You have views and you believe them and you hold firmly to them. Guarding the unity of the Spirit doesn't mean that we all think the same. But it also doesn't mean that all issues carry the same weight. Every now and then uh, in the Christian world we get fired up about certain issues and some of them would require a bit too much to talk about tonight but here's one that I think we can deal with uh, in, in the amount of time we have, that of Bible translations of different versions, right? So you've seen people get fired up about this and whether it's like in that illustration, the King James Version versus the ESV or really the King James versus anything else... <laughs> or or whether it's most recently a few years ago maybe 10 years ago now it was the ESV versus the NIV and if you're in those conversations well it started to get heated like it's like one of the, if you're reading one you weren't really reading the bible or something and then if you've ever been in the conversation about bible translations where someone brings up a paraphrase like the message whoa step right back right because it's going to get hot now what's going on there we we've made a minor into a major And in doing so, we've forgotten that actually every English translation is a translation, right? They all have their strengths and weaknesses. And the other thing that we've forgotten, more importantly, is that we have an English version of the Bible that we can read in numerous translations that are pretty good. How good is that? The joy of being able to read God's word in our language. Don't make the minors into majors. Don't major on the minors. Guarding the unity of the spirit is about recognising that there are many issues that aren't of prime importance and treating them like they're not of prime importance. Now, I'm just going to throw a few others into the mix. Most views on baptism, I have a very strong view on baptism, but views on baptism... They're not of major importance. Most of our different views on Holy Communion, how often we should do it, what actually happens in Communion, not of major importance. Gender roles in ministry, not of major importance. Have a view on them, for sure. Have conversations about them, no problem. Hold to your view, not an issue. But don't major on the minors. It's not what defines Christian unity. Keep the minors in perspective. The unity of the spirit is focused on the majors, on fundamental issues of faith. And in verse 4 to 6 of Ephesians 4, Paul tells us what they are and he gets as close as he, he does, I think, to giving us a creed of sorts. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The unity of the spirit is guarded when these ones are maintained and it might not surprise you that the word for ones and the word for unity come from the same root word. They're related. Paul's playing on this idea. God's oneness is the unity that we protect, that we guard. And there's seven ones here, which I don't think is an accident either. For seven in Paul's world was the number of perfection. And so here is perfect unity. Here is how to guard unity by maintaining our focus on these ones. So let's just touch on these ones really briefly. One body, one body of believers, the church. It's not about being Anglican. Now, it probably doesn't surprise you that I'm Anglican for a reason. I'm ordained in the Anglican church. I've thought about that. But it's not about being Anglican or Baptist or Pentecostal. It's about being the people of God, the people that God has called together through his Son and by his Spirit. That's how we maintain unity of the Spirit. We express this in our creeds when we say them from time to time. We believe in the holy universal church, we say. It's not just about St. Matt's. It's not just about Anglicans. It's about God's church, which is bigger than often what we make it. Be on guard against making the body of Christ smaller than what it really is because we have sectarian views instead of God's big picture. We maintain the unity of the spirit by having one spirit, God's Holy Spirit who dwells in believers to enable us to be truly human again we dishonour or we start to break unity when we don't think there's a spirit or when we claim that the spirit has different manifestations or different ways of being that you know you can have one version of the spirit and i can have another no there's one spirit and every believer has that spirit we have one hope the hope that jesus is making all things new the hope that all things will be united under the rule of Christ once again, the hope that there is a time coming where we will experience no more death or crying or mourning or sorrow or pain. That is our hope that we hang on to, that we cling to, that unites us, that keeps us moving together as the body of Christ, one Lord. Now back in Paul's day... uh, The the common mantra in the world was Caesar was Lord. And the Christians came along and said, No, 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 no. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so for them, when Paul says one Lord, it's a reminder that that's Jesus and not Caesar. Now, our problem, particularly in Australia, we're not going to run into the temptation of making our prime minister the Lord, are we? It's just not what we're going to do culturally apart from anything else. But what's our danger? Who do we make Lord? We make ourselves Lord. And so when when Paul says one Lord and we read that, it's a reminder to us that we're not Lord. We're not the ones in control of our own lives but Jesus is. And we maintain unity of the Holy Spirit when we remember who we are and what our place is and that it's not all about me but rather I submit myself to Jesus and we with each other submit ourselves to Jesus. One Lord, one faith, no other faith than faith in the incarnate, crucified, resurrected and ascended Jesus. He and he alone is our way of salvation. He and he alone is our hope for life, nothing more, nothing less. One faith, one baptism. Now, if you heard me a moment ago, I said baptism is one of those things that you know, goes into the secondary panel so just bear with me, what's it mean by one baptism? This is the, what, who we're baptised into. And Jesus commanded his disciples to baptise people into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism that we believe in. How we go about doing that? Secondary issue. But that we believe in, one baptism, that's primary and we maintain unity of the Spirit when we remember that baptism is about God and His gracious goodness to us. And don't make baptism about us or about a church or an institutional way of doing that. One baptism in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then finally, one God and Father of all. There isn't a multitude of gods. You know, sometimes I've wished that there was a God for every nation. It just would seem to be much easier to get along in the world. But that's not how it is. There's one God, the God, one God and Father of all. The God for all tribes, all nations, all people groups. The God for all people, no matter where you live, when you were born or anything else, one God and Father of all. This is how we maintain unity by hanging on to him who is supreme over all and who is at work through all and in all things. We maintain unity of the spirit when we major on those majors. But sometimes unity is broken and when it is, it's good for us to grieve broken unity because broken unity really matters and broken unity Grieves God. Unity of the Spirit is broken when we step away from those core beliefs. We guard unity because when it's broken, someone has walked away from Jesus, from life saving faith and trust in Jesus. And that's worth grieving. And we grieve unity because when it's broken, The church is no longer able to fulfil its purpose as God intended, to be the taste of things to come for the world around us and the cosmos beyond us. When unity is broken, we grieve. Don't treat unity of the Holy Spirit lightly. It's a big deal and we do well to guard that unity. Very soon, I will be eating fruit from my fruit trees. Those flowers became buds. Those buds became lemons. Who would have thought? I thought that was an orange tree. No, actually, I did not know, know it was a lemon tree. And my wife has promised that when those lemons come off the tree, she will make a lemon cake and I can taste it already. So if you thought to yourself... Hmm, Ron's got a couple of lemons that aren't far off. Those are them right there in that picture. They're they're looking pretty ripe. I I know where the rectory is. I could (laughs) pop over there and grab a couple of lemons. That would be good. You might find me guarding those lemons and you might see part of me that you haven't seen before. Though, of course, I'll try and do it with gentleness and humility. (laughs) If I'm going to guard those lemons like that and I'm kind of only half-joking... If I'm going to guard those lemons like that, how much more we guard the unity of the Holy Spirit that's been won for us by Jesus. That's the the way that God reveals what he's doing in the world now and that gives the world and indeed the cosmos a taste of what God is doing into the future. The whole cosmos gets a taste of what is coming. As God's people maintain unity of the Holy Spirit, guard it. God is bringing all things together under Jesus. Guard the unity that Jesus has won for us by being gentle, humble, patient and loving, by majoring on the majors and letting the minors be minors. Guard it for the sake of Jesus and for His glory, let me pray. Lord God, thank you that, uh, thank you that you've called us to yourself, and in calling us to yourself, thank you that you've unified us. Enable us to guard that unity, Father. When we, when we get really worked up about things that don't matter, would you be kind enough to gently rebuke us, and to help us set those things aside. Father, when we see things that really do matter, enable us to guard them, but enable us to do it in a way that's like Jesus, being gentle, humble, patient and loving. And Father, we pray that you will continue to use your worldwide church to reveal the taste of what you are doing now and the taste of things to come through the unity that we maintain. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon For all the details check out our website at stmatt's.org.au. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.